0: I'm Chuck, and I'm Buck, and you're listening to the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection, and we've been looking forward to this one for, I think we're actually a couple weeks behind at this point, but we got to talk about it, and that's the 20th anniversary of the Sega Dreamcast. And what a fantastic console it was. Yeah, you know, fun fact or not, however you want to look at it, once the Dreamcast died, once it got, you know taken off store shelves that they've been in the console market for 18 years at that point. It's already been over twice that long or over twice that amount of time. Wait, no, it's been over over 20 years since it's been more time (laughs) (laughs) since Sega hasn't been in the console race than they were in the console race. (laughs) That's very true. Which, which, which for me, that's, that's very sad because I think Sega has lost a lot of their gusto since they left. Uh, they put yeah, out some most, good games, but I don't yeah, know. Right now they have like what Yakuza It's huge for them now. And I mean, Sonic's still a thing, I guess. <laughs> Sonic is still a thing. Uh, one of the last couple have been OK. So let's give them credit there. Well, the 2D ones have Sonic Forces sucked. Yeah, I never played that one. Uh, and when I when I go back to the the 3 d ones, the last one I go back to is generations, and like that one was solid. That's yeah, that one was that's where I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's not get too off topic there. That's a that's a a dark hole to go down. But the Sega Dreamcast, well, that's definitely one <laughs> of the most important consoles, definitely of our childhood for sure., uh, we both got ours around two thousand and one within a few months of each other. And yeah, mine was the the spring, 2001, April, and I think yours was, I want to say, somewhere, it was somewhere in that summer, like June, August, 01. Yeah, that was only, basically, a little after they, they took it off, or they didn't take it off shelves, but they discontinued the Dreamcast, releasing consoles, manufacturing them. Because I believe, well, let's start from the beginning, shall we? In Japan, it got released uh, at the end of 98, and in America, they had the, you know, the will- big. Yeah, I remember the hype. I'm just gonna go through it a little bit for the. I'm sure you do too. The the nine nine ninety nine hype. I do. Re- is, uh... I do remember that. I wasn't in the market for a Dreamcast, but you you couldn't really uh, you couldn't really ignore that advertising. It was it was kind of catchy. You know, it, it worked out well for them because when the Dreamcast got released, Sega had a pretty pretty small install base in Japan. They didn't really accept it with open arms uh, like America did. Kind of strange. Yeah, from a Japanese company and you know traditionally strong Japanese company, especially the Genesis actually had the the lead on the SNES for a while. I mean the Saturn was a, a little bit of a misstep for them I mean financially but they were definitely the number two competitor and just jumping back a little bit to the ninety nine hype, I just remember that because ironically like the MTV video music Awards were also happening 9999. And I remember that and the Dreamcast both getting hyped to the moon for $9,999. It still sticks out in my mind to this day. Well, that really ages it. <laughs> but yeah, it was really surprising that the. Uh, I didn't realize the Japanese audience didn't really take to the Dreamcast initially, because ah, from what I remember over here, again, we were in like fifth grade or something. So memory might be a little fuzzy, but I feel like it was a smash hit at the beginning. It was not a smash hit for them at the beginning. I think it it slowly caught on a little bit more. i think I think a big reason why it hit here, and this is this is kind of just off the top of the head, Sega, for the Dreamcast, they had all their their hit sports games, their two k lineup because EA decided that they weren't going to uh, make sports titles for it because Sega wouldn't allow them to be the only exclusive production company to actually release sports games. And they had recently just, I think they bought the uh, bought the rights for like $10 million for another company. I'm trying to remember who did that for them, who did the 2K series. I don't know if you remember, Visual Concepts, I believe it was? Oh, yeah, it definitely was, this Visual Concepts. Yeah, so before, I think before the Dreamcast dropped, they bought the rights to them, and they were going to be a studio working under mm-hmm. them. And they were like, well, we don't want to waste that investment. It's not that big of a deal. But I think there was actually some other uh, background uh drama that was going on before that too but that was a big deal that ea wasn't going to support them and i mean just like thinking about it now like ea not putting out software on your console that's that's rough even though a lot of people don't like them they're a conglomerate to be sure and they're important for many an install base yeah right up there with activision as far as having you know a huge install base and a presence i think they're they held off on the switch for a while i think they're kind of slowly coming around to it but yeah, not having, even like you said, EA's hated by a lot of the, the hardcore gaming community, not having them still rough though. Were they as quite the monopoly back then? I don't think they were. They, they definitely weren't, but they still, I mean, they were still strong. They had obviously Madden and FIFA was still going on back then. So I know Madden for sure, FIFA not as much here in the States is a big thing, but Madden is certainly, yeah even back then was huge. Yeah, and I actually don't think it had quite got like came into its own at that point. But going back to what I was saying, I think one of the biggest reasons why it was huge in North America, besides the, the huge graphical fidelity increase that we saw from the 32 bit generation to the Dreamcast, it was just the sports games lineup was, was huge. And typically those are obviously going to be more popular over here, especially the football, baseball, basketball, those games. And they were all very, very high quality. And I think that's... Definitely caught a lot of people's attention, especially uh, younger gamers, teenagers, early, late 20s. Yeah, I mean, my go-to basketball game to this day is still NBA 2K2, and if my brother and I are playing a a game, there's a good shot if it's just the two of us were playing a game of 2K2, even though 2K20 is out right now, we still go back to 2K2. Yeah, they still hold up great, and they actually look really good. Yeah, they still look pretty fantastic. Yeah, and I mean 20 years ago. So the Sega Dreamcast obviously dropped uh September 9th, 1999 like we said, and it was the first of the sixth generation of video game consoles before the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox. And I don't I'm trying to remember when exactly the PS2 dropped, but the Dreamcast dropped uh early enough to just have this huge edge of the market share there uh for for the time that it was by itself before Sony kind of you know, really ramped up the advertising campaign for PS2, which kind yeah, of demolished Sega PS2 in the end. Was, uh, yeah, I want to say PS2 was like October of 2000. It came out. It was late 2000. They had Sega had yeah. basically a year lead, and they did. And they <laughs> certainly took advantage of it. I mean, the the Dreamcast. It, it can't be expressed enough just how like groundbreaking the Dreamcast was. And and let's just start just from you know, like I said, graphical fidelity. This was such a leap. probably the largest leap we we had ever seen and i i think we would both argue that uh we've seen in a long time ps2 to ps3 that was good and all but from the 32-bit to the dreamcast that was just something else it was something to behold yeah the the 3d characters i mean you look back on on ps1 64 there's some A lot of Jaggies and everything out there in those characters. It's hard to even tell. Like, look at the famous pictures of Squall we always see. And that's one of the better looking models from the PS1. And then Dreamcast, it actually looked like at the time, it felt like it looked realistic. It's like, wow, this is insane. Like all the Jaggies and everything were gone and people looked like people. It was weird and it was great. Yeah, it was just one another one of those leaps where you're like, oh, wow. How's it going to look better than this? I remember my brother back when the sixty four came out. I think he'd just gotten like NFL quarterback club whatever year it was that it came out. He's like, Oh my god, this is amazing. And I mean we all look back on the Nintendo sixty four games and we're like, Wow. (laughs) So glad this is not the the new hotness anymore. Even though obviously the sixty four has great titles on it. But Yeah, we love the sixty four. The Dreamcast is is a joy to go back to because even even the games trying to be photorealistic as best you could be. The Dreamcast had its its own style, where the games have aged really gracefully for the vast majority of the library, and that's uh, that's a testament, especially with 3D games in general. Even though it had its fair share of of high quality 2D games, I think that's that's something that you definitely don't find with uh, even a lot of like PS2 games. It Could be kind of difficult to go back to. I think Sega did a really good job of quality control there for sure i think the dreamcast one thing kind of helps they had a lot of stylized 3d games like just take a look at something like crazy taxi it's going to hold up just with all the brightness and colors and everything in style a lot better than you know some of the the ps2 titles that used a lot of uh, brown and kind of dark and drab colors that just look kind of muddy these days no that's that's absolutely true hey do we want to talk about uh Maybe some of the, the launch lineup. Let's do it. Because, man, they're, I think they launched with like 17 games, which was unprecedented. It still kind of is. I mean, a lot of consoles only release with a handful. I remember the 64 only released with like three or four before that. So 17 they, games was a lot to, lot to like. I think they learned a lot from the Saturn because the Saturn released with like a handful, maybe a really jaggy Virtua Fighter and then maybe one or two other games. Well, I think they learned a lot, even more than that, from the Saturn. But thank God they did. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the the Dreamcast dropped with some of the most beloved mm-hmm. games uh, that the library uh, still has. I mean, obviously Sonic Adventure, uh, mind blowing. Like that's like one of the greatest games that you can just like demo up in your Dreamcast and just be like, well, this is this is like the future of gaming. This is insane. You also had. Uh, Soul Calibur was a release title that's mind blowing and still yes, a... still plays super well. And, and just going back to Sonic Adventure real quick, like you talked about, I mean, that was a what a tech demo for what the Dreamcast can do with the first level and the dolphins like destroying it and you're outrunning them like that was ridiculously mind blowing at the time. Like if you weren't there, you don't realize But man, that was crazy. Let's see. What else did they have? Did um, they have Power Stone. I think the original Power Stone was a release title. Fantastic game, uh, two-player arena fighter, if you will. It was basically your uh, equivalent to Smash Brothers, but in a a 3D space where you could interact with objects and weapons. And I think we talked about it on a previous episode. We talked about Power Stone 2, its sequel, which came out much later. Uh, Just a very unique fighting game, very polished. One of the many, many classics that Capcom released. And obviously, we had the 2K series on there, too, that we talked about the sports games that were such a, a graphical leap up like those were crazy and super high quality. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember exactly which ones dropped, but definitely uh, NFL 2K was and one NBA of the 2K did for yeah. sure, too. Those were system sellers and still at the at the top of the Dreamcast sales numbers at this point. Literally, I think six out of the top 10 best selling Dreamcast games are from the 2K series. Yeah, even even to this day, there's still people that and I'm I'm in the camp, too, that uh, NFL 2K5 is the best football game to ever be released as far as like 3D, you know, present day, if you will, football-esque titles. Yeah, I'd argue NFL Blitz, but, you know, it's just me. (laughs) More of an arcade sports fan myself. That's a classic, too. Yeah. No lack for things that you would want, be it, you know, racing games, fighting games. Uh, adventure games things of that nature they had you know several different genres games from several genres that were i would say nine to ten out of ten games like you have well sonic adventure itself just crazy and then you have the sports titles i mean power stone was very good obviously soul caliber reviewed super well they had a lot going for them was jet set radio a release title no i don't i don't think so Crazy text, he probably was. Yeah, the first one probably was. And I think the second one was one of the last games that came out on the system. I believe so. There are so many good games for the console, and the console really only had a lifespan of about a a year and a half. Which is insane for all the titles. A year and a half is such a ridiculously short amount of time for Sega to go ahead and, and take it off the shelves, but they were, you know, at that time, they were basically bleeding money. Uh, due to the the PS2 getting released, and they were slashing prices just to try to get a larger user base out there. Yeah, to put that in perspective. Everyone talks about the Wii U, and it did have a shortened life cycle, which I mean, it does suck that it you know the life cycle was cut that short. But the Wii U was on shelves at least three to four years. I mean, over double the amount of time. Essentially, they supported that versus the Dreamcast got support. And just look at how many freaking fantastic Dreamcast titles we have from that that super short time period. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like I would have loved to have seen, uh, you know, the the system last as long as the the average console was lasting around then. I think it was I don't know four to five years at that point, maybe. Yeah, probably, <sighs> I'd say about five years is pretty average. Just the uh, amount of great games that you know developers could have put out in that time frame? It's kind of depressing but we got a, we got a lot in a short period of time they discontinued yeah, yeah. it yeah the end of march 2001 but there was games getting released uh up until a couple years after that i think up until like 2003 they were still releasing your your occasional random sports title i don't know if 2k 2k2 i know was on there i don't know if 2k3 was like you said it's just unfortunate that it went by so quick they had a reasonable amount of sales worldwide, I, although it didn't meet Sega's you know, expectations. They ended up selling a little over nine million, which I think is is still pretty low in the grand scheme of things. But the Dreamcast is so loved and remembered that, I mean, people are literally still making games for the console, which is astounding, like to yeah. this day. But I, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, when we get into the the end of the episode. What, I would, what A couple of things that I wanted to bring up about the console itself specifically. There was a lot of firsts that came with the Sega Dreamcast. Less notable or more notable depending upon who you are. The Dreamcast was the first home console that uh, gave the user the the option to play games at 60 hertz. Which was huge for uh, performance and uh graphical quality for different games some games gave you the option and and to put that into perspective a lot of consoles now still run at 60 hertz so that's pretty huge i mean i'm sure we could talk about the modem i think we should i think we should back up even more than the modem let's let's start with the controller first definitely one of my favorite controllers bar none (sighs) minus maybe the the sony line of controllers probably my favorite controller I don't know how many more times I can say controller. <laughs> <laughs> controller. Well, I, I, my problem with it is the D-pad has kind of the, the jaggy edges, which is a little bit of a problem. Like for If you quarter circle forward a lot in your fighting games, it can mess with you a little bit. And the only other thing I would say, like it would be nice to have two shoulder buttons, but as far as the actual feel of the control, yeah, it feels super good. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of one of the one of the controllers that came out for the Saturn. It had kind of like it was kind of like a big circular, kind of like almost it was almost like an arcade stick in your hand, a yeah, little like, bit like the Nights control. It was basically a Dreamcast control. <laughs> yeah. So that that was interesting that they they took inspiration from that design and brought it over. But the Dreamcast had a lot of 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 interesting things going on. Uh, the one thing that really held it back was it only actually had one analog controller. Or analog controller, analog stick, yeah. which made it a little tricky, you know, obviously to configure the the camera in different ways, and it made it harder to control certain 3D games. But uh, it had a, a couple of cool features, like the, the, the slots on the top to put in different accessories and your memory cards, some of them known as VMUs. Uh, you could put in two at a time. That was cool. You could put in rumble packs. And I think there was other types of accessories, too, that you could use. Kind of like the microphone from C-Man. Yeah, the mi- <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Don't forget <laughs> about C-Man. Those were pretty cool. And the fact that you could put two of them in was, was nice. The biggest issue with that, though, and I, I'm surprised you didn't bring this up, is the fact that the controller cord comes out from the bottom, not the top of the controller. Like <laughs> that most. was super awkward. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, like, you lose, like, I don't know, half a foot of cord, the cord distance. the already short, too. It, it really is. And... I think I would have actually preferred that they only gave you like one memory card slot and still had the cord coming out the back (laughs) of it, to be completely honest with you. But other than that, the controller felt so good in the hands. And I, I think a lot of people, at least that I've heard online, they're just like, the controller feels awkward, maybe it's a little too big, and I don't know. Maybe it was just built for me specifically, but I always thought that the triggers felt really good. Uh, I actually liked the D-pad while it was kind of a little too angular, if you will. Blisters, maybe, but it's not as bad as like an Xbox or no. maybe an, an original NES controller. Genesis. Yeah, the Genesis control, too, can get kind of nasty. I was never doing too many Hadoukens on a Sega Genesis, but I suppose if you're playing <laughs> Championship Edition. Exactly. <laughs> Eternal Champions. Yeah, that's fair. But... Uh, it. it's still to this day my favorite fighting game controller but that may just be because that's what i learned fighting games on that could be because we're very different there because it's uh, i would much prefer a ps4 control to the the dreamcast control when it comes to my fighting games well i mean the ps4 controller is probably literally the greatest controller ever invented at this point they it definitely has the best d-pad and i have to use I use a D pad for fighting games. So that's, that's my big thing. Like if I'm playing a shooter, I would still much rather have an Xbox control than a PlayStation control. If I'm playing a first person shooter, you know, I don't play those. So I don't take that into, <laughs> that's true. Into consideration. So there, there was something just about the controller itself. It was kind of, it sort of felt kind of space age when it came out because the console and the controller were white. And, you know, it's just like this, this new technology that's going to, Take over the gaming scene. It's got all this impressive hardware in it. And I was just like, this is pretty cool. So let, let's talk about the the VMUs. Like that was pretty groundbreaking at the time. Not only those did you. Things, yeah, those, those things were freaking awesome. I remember the PlayStation came out with like a, a PlayStation pocket. It only came out in Japan. But I remember in like the instruction book for Final Fantasy VIII, they were like hyping it up. And I thought it looked like, like the coolest thing ever. And then the VMUs came out, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it was a it was a great addition. And what the VMUs did, basically also a memory card, but they had a little like L C D screen on them. Yeah, and, if anyone remembers at the time too, like virtual pets were yeah. ridiculously huge at the time. If you don't know what virtual pets are, Tamagotchis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was basically a memory card and a tamag with a Tamagotchi screen on it. And it would plug into your controller, and there was a port on the front of the Dreamcast controller that you could see the VMU screen. And what the VMU did uh, for certain... For most games, it would have a little out, uh, like display on it. It would either like display the, the name of the game, or when you're doing certain things like fighting a boss, level transitions, loading screens, it may have a little animation on it or something of that nature, or have some type of important information like... I don't know. Like we used to play light gun games. Did they have, they have like the ammo count on it or anything strange like that? I remember most games, like just for like Skies of Arcadia, there's the big like the pirate Skies of Arcadia logo. I feel like most games, it was the logo stamped on there. But they might have had like ammo count for like Virtua Cop and stuff. I don't remember. Which I don't know, like why you'd look down at your controller to find that when it's on the screen. <laughs> but I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying, it's like they they could have done. Cool things like that but the vmu also had the ability to if the game supported it, it it could have little like mini games on it that you could play just on the vmu after you take it out because it had a battery pack in it and it had uh, a d-pad and a couple of buttons and you could play the games specifically uh, for example sonic adventure lets you raise the ko's yeah whatever they were yeah Um, tamagotchi (laughs) style you could play little mini games with them feed them all that good stuff and then import them back into your game that was pretty cool i don't remember i'm trying to remember any of the other games that i ended up uh, playing on there did fantasy star use them for the mags i don't remember not really no okay um but interesting enough like some of these mini games that came on the games you could actually play with another player if they had their vmu and you could Plug them into one another and play against each other or with each other, whatever it may have been. Yeah, Which the was only problem pretty... with that I remember was like those batteries, the little batteries died in those things so quick that was my big problem. Yeah, no, they absolutely did. Like if you were if you were addicted to your little VMU games, <laughs> they had to be replaced quite a bit, um, and you can still find them thankfully. They're not some, like, proprietary battery. That's definitely cool, and it was another thing, like, so many things in the Dreamcast that was just so far ahead of its time. Yeah, did, and did you know that you could actually, like, plug two of your memory cards in, or two of your VMUs into each other and transfer save data between them? No, I didn't. That's pretty cool. I didn't either. Wow, why, how did I not take advantage of that? I mean, even though it was super easy to do it on your console through like the system settings and having multiple VMUs plugged in. It was just a, it was a, it was a nice touch. And something that I think was maybe a little underutilized when people were developing games, but it was, it was definitely something very unique to the console ahead of its time and something we haven't really seen since. No, I mean, you could almost call it like the start of something like the controls, even like the Wii U having like the LCD screen on there. It's almost kind of like the start of something like that, except for, you know, way more primitive, and it's actually separate, and it was just yeah, crazy. I remember too, like, Sega was the only ones themselves that actually made the VMUs because there were regular memory cards made by, like, third-party companies, but they didn't have the screens or the buttons or anything. It was just like a like a memory card you'd throw in there. Yeah, had a few of those. Had some of those multi-memory units. Or it had, yep. like, 32 memory cards built into one, and it would die after it was all of them. Yes, never, never get those. <laughs> none, none of those ever last. Yeah, those, that was that was a that was a very cool thing. And obviously the Dreamcast also had uh, like it, like I said earlier, some of the the accessories like the uh, rumble pack and things like that. But they also had a lot of different and interesting controllers that went with various games. Like, for example, the maracas for Samba de Or the the fishing reel, which if you're into that, I've heard it's pretty fun, but (laughs) it might be. It looks like like I remember, like we were in grade school that like black and white tiger LCD fishing game was really popular that had the little reel on it. It looked like that's kind of what the Sega one was like. And that game was kind of fun. So, yeah, it was I think it may have been one of the very first like motion controls on a console. Dreamcast just had everything. It did. It had a heck of a lot. Awesome, And then obviously it had some really high quality arcade sticks too. Because the Dreamcast, if nothing else, it had some really stellar arcade ports. Yeah, it picked up where the Saturn left off there. Because the Saturn had a lot of good arcade ports, especially for fighting games. And the Dreamcast kind of picked up the torch and ran with it. Yeah, if there was if there was really anything from Sega in the arcade at the time, and it was, I think it was on the uh, it was at the Naomi arcade system board. They they would basically port it over, and it was nearly perfect. And that was that was a huge selling point. Kind of like if you were a Neo Geo fan back in the day, the Dreamcast kind of scratched that itch in a good way. Yeah. and especially it seemed like that Sega and Capcom, because of prior to the Naomi arcade board, were kind of tight at the hip at the time. So. And we loved our Capcom fighters, so they were all coming on the Dreamcast. Oh yeah. So yeah, a lot of cool accessories uh, overall. There's a, there's some other ones, but uh, a couple of the other ones I want to talk about with some of the games I want to talk about. Uh, what did you think? Did you ever experience or take advantage of any of like the what do I want to call it the the hackability of the Dreamcast? You know, not besides I remember that I think your dad got like this weird like hack disc that had a gazillion games on. I remember playing <laughs> games on there. Yeah, that's true. There was, there was like a thousand games on there. And none of them were good. That no, I remember, fun. uh, I believe the name of the game was Ninja the Instead of the Ninja, that game wasn't too bad. Ninja the was okay. <laughs> is, is that the one where you played Mario with Squirtle? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That was, that that was interesting. But, uh, the Dreamcast, that had a lot of, uh, like I said, interesting technology built into it. And one of the technologies that Sega developed uh, around the same time as the Dreamcast was something called a Mill CD, which was basically like a multimedia CD that was ahead of its time in the way kind of like a DVD was in the fact that like so you have music on it, but it made it kind of like a multimedia experience where it could have other options like music videos and things like that on the disk itself and due to this technology being compatible with the Dreamcast a lot of hackers found it easy to bypass the security on the system using uh, CDs like this and uh, came out with a lot of emulators and uh, what we've come now to appreciate the the homebrewing scene which has kept the Dreamcast's legacy alive well past its end date. Yeah, there's just such a hardcore crowd. And you said the homebrew hacking community has kept us strong for, you know, basically the last 18 years. Yeah, which is something that I haven't really dipped my toes in too much, uh, which is kind of a shame. But I know a lot of people have been enjoying, you know, the, the various Dreamcast games that get dropped every year, especially in Japan. Like for not adopting the system right away, they sure are supporting it now. Well, I remember back in the day, this was back in two thousand and one, right around the time the Dreamcast was getting discontinued, a thing came out called Bleam. Or Bleam or Bleamcast. It could actually Definitely Bleamcast. So, yeah. Yeah. It was to basically port they had one for uh Gran Turismo two and one for Metal Gear Solid, I remember back in the day. And these actually came out like just briefly to like GameStop or, or Babbages or whatever it was called back then. And then they got think they got sued and they got snapped up real quick but yeah they're basically just ports like basically uh hd remasters if you will for those two games on the dreamcast yeah it just had a basically a built-in playstation emulator on it yeah that's interesting that they were actually bringing those to the stores i never i never saw that in my time yeah, I remember seeing that. It was, it was only like 20 bucks for each one for the, the Bleem or Bleemcast. And they supposedly had kind of like, I guess like a smoothing filter or whatever to make them look a little bit better too. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I need to look at videos on that. It's like an unofficial, you know, up HD port like we get all the time now that everyone loves. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, another fun fact about the Dreamcast is it actually had a proprietary one gigabyte gd romd cd or disc if you will so they didn't use uh, cd-roms like uh, a lot of media was using at the time so they could hold up to one gigabyte and a cd-rom only holds 650 megabytes but uh, hackers found their ways to rip the obviously the games and the game files off of the CDs and get the, or off of the, the GD ROMs and get them onto CD ROMs with using various compression techniques or like removing, I don't know, random music or uh, video files that they found weren't necessary, but the Dreamcast did have an issue with pirating for sure. And I knew people, uh, that that did do that they had a lot of burned games and it was easy to get them if you knew somebody who who had the setup you could just go to a rental store and just have most of the Dreamcast catalog if you were uh, if you're patient enough so in the Dreamcast did you have to actually like mod your system or could you just actually get the games and then they'd already run on there like the burned games you didn't have no you didn't have to uh mod it at all they would run oh, wow. fine yeah yeah that's really cool I mean, I'm all for supporting the the developer and the publishers, but I mean, especially after the system's dead, then I have no problem with modding it. (laughs) Yeah, I think that happened even pretty early on in the console's lifespan. I think the Dreamcast is probably one of the very first, if not the first, consoles to see hacking as uh, an issue overall, uh, especially for their business practices that may have negatively affected the sales. Yeah, I agree. That's like you said, the first time I remember hearing it was that, and I know the original Xbox, which is obviously after, was notoriously bad for being able to hack it. Yeah, but it, it, it's a cool kind of like point in history for games kind of taking that corner into, you know, being more of a multimedia system, kind of more like the PS2 was, where it had, you know, the obviously the, the DVD player built in. And Dreamcast tried to, ahead of the time a little bit but i think what they did there may have harmed them more than it did good but who knows i feel like whoever would have been the first one to come up with that technology like people would have cracked it so the fact that dreamcast was kind of the first ones that did it i mean it's not surprising i feel like a lot of other companies learned from their mistakes if you will from people hacking it and things and i mean whoever was going to be the first one out there there there's a good shot that they were going to get picked apart by some type of hacker our homebrew community. Poor Sega, but well, they I live guess on. Well, unless it's like the, the Saturn, which people are still trying to figure out how to freaking emulate that, but that's a whole other issue. We're getting closer. That's You're getting closer. <laughs> I, I'm there. <laughs> You're there. That's good. That's good news. I'm excited to hear more about that. <laughs> so the hacking and homebrewing scene uh, brings up another pretty important point. Obviously, the Dreamcast had one of the the biggest leaps for any console uh, pretty much ever at this point, and that was having a modem built directly into the console, which allowed for the first home console to allow for online gaming over, I think it was 128. I don't, what was the connection speed there at that point? I don't remember. 56k at first, and then I think it got up to 128. But man, what a, what a huge evolution that was. I mean, Obviously, the first online game that they ever released was Choo Choo Rocket at this point. Which
1: Obviously, that was the
0: game. Yes. Uh, and that game came out of them just trying to figure out how to do online gaming. That's how that was the inspiration for that. That was kind of like their test bed. And then they they released it. Like, you you can't underestimate or, like, understate how important that was if you just look at the landscape of gaming now and just how integral online gaming is and how every developer has to put online features in their game. Let's think about just basically people that are teenagers these days. They probably don't know anything except being able to game online. Like, we grew up, obviously, couch co-op, and they would think that would be probably so weird now when they're so used to online with headsets and i mean none of that was anywhere before dreamcast could you even do was there any way that you could do voice chat on the dreamcast
1: did you do it
0: with the microphones well i don't remember which ones you could do it with but i I feel like was it like alien 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 syndrome is it what's the yeah, that might be it. I thought that one may have came with a headset, because I remember it came with that big-ass box. It had to come with something <laughs> interesting in it besides a, an okay <laughs> game. That's true. Yeah. I don't remember if the uh, the Seaman microphone worked online. Probably not. <laughs> but a lot of games uh, that you played online at that point, you used the uh, Dreamcast keyboard. I mean, just look at the impact that like Fancy Star Online made from so many people. Just from, I'd say, our generation, or even the people a few years older than us, people in their, you know, mid to late thirties now, or I'll say thirties in general. Like a lot of people's first experience was Fancy Star Online, and they still love that game to death. I mean, as obviously we do too. Probably my favorite Dreamcast game of all time, and I mean, Fancy Star Online. It it marks the first online. RPG, MMO sort of experience the console gamers ever got. And that was huge and unprecedented. And while neither one of us ever got to play it online uh, in its heyday on the Dreamcast, spent a lot of time trying, though, a lot of time trying. <laughs> That's true. Um, obviously, I've, I've played the game online, you know, private servers. Uh, within the recent years and then obviously on the GameCube through the yeah. official servers later on. Well, we put a lot of time into the GameCube local multiplayer, too. Yeah, uh, but you couldn't do that on the Dreamcast. That was only on the GameCube because it was only one player Yeah, on the Dreamcast. And I uh, still put a ton of hours into it. I know you did, too, without even being able to go online, just playing it solo. That game was still yeah. fantastic. Yeah, hundreds of hours. It was. If I had gotten that game online, I think my childhood would be a, a lot different. <laughs> I don't think I would have ever left the house, even though I still rarely did you may have dropped out as like an eighth grader. <laughs> yeah, I, I just may have. Because that would have that would have been something else. But just just the thought of of doing that back then just definitely mind-blowing just like a lot of the things this Dreamcast did first, but really bringing online console gaming to, you know, to the house uh, easily accessible. Obviously, if you had a fast enough modem at that point. It's one of those things that's, like, really hard for me to talk about because I didn't get to experience it at the time. And, I mean, for me, I didn't play a lot of online games until, I guess, probably around the PS3 days. Yeah, that's the first time either one of us really jumped on much because, and we weren't really, back in the day especially, we weren't really PC gamers at all. I mean, you couldn't even be basically on the internet because it would take up the phone line, then no one could use the phone because of dial-up. So, I mean, we didn't really play much at all on pc were pretty much console gamers exclusive and then being able to potentially go online like that was a that was a game changer that was crazy yeah my only exception to that was uh, diablo 2 at the time i did play that online quite a bit that was just a different time when you couldn't have simultaneous phone calls and your internet working at the same time i remember just being on like aol and being like somebody's calling in should you answer it i'm like well i'd I don't want to stop surf- surfing the web. Or doing, no, you shouldn't. Right, doing my AOL instant chat. So, eBay be- auction into two minutes. Come on, mom. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Very different times. I know that was huge for a lot of people. And I, I didn't have a, a ton of friends. I don't think I had any friends that actually had, besides you, most of my friends didn't have Dreamcast at the time. And they didn't have experience with the online infrastructure i'd be i'd love to go back and and see it at that speed and see how well it worked out it must have worked out pretty good because i don't remember anybody complaining but at that point they didn't have anything else to base it off of (laughs) you took you took what you got at that point most of our friends i feel like we're playing pokemon if they're gaming at the times (laughs) yeah that's true i think we were i think we may have been a little young to appreciate what what the online gaming sphere offered at that point I'd say you're probably right. It would have been, we would have been, yeah, a tad on the young age because we would have been in 2001. We got ours. We were just in, you know, seventh, eighth grade. Well, I'll tell you what wasn't lost on us having four ports like the N64 and yes. being able to play some pretty incredible multiplayer experiences directly on the same TV. That was something else. Obviously, not a, obviously, you know, we were used to it on the N64, but being able to do it on the Dreamcast was pretty great and i you know we i don't remember playing a ton of four player games but definitely a lot of two-player fighting games tons of two-player fighting games i mean like you said we occasionally played like power stone 2 or something with four of us but for the most part yeah it was me and you going head-to-head playing fighting games or even doing something co-op yeah i I think the other game that was a really awesome four-player experience on there besides choo-choo rocket multiplayer obviously that was cool was uh the release of Gotten Legends on there, which was really oh, good. Oh yeah, that's true. Far superior to the, well, I don't know if it was far superior to the N64 version. It was obviously looked better, and I think it was almost a direct port of the arcade experience. Yeah, because I remember uh, for in my head the 64 version runs fine, but I know the Dreamcast had to look a hundred times better. Yeah, the the N60. Well, any any version of that game now just kind of looks a little a little janky, but. But damn, I'll go back to it any day, that's for sure. I'll still go back to the 64, and the biggest problem with 64 is just those muddy textures on everything. Because, I mean, we go into the Dreamcast, everything had, you know, rounded edges. No, you couldn't see where the polygons ended, and the textures started at that point. It all looked really good. So. Yeah, it was crazy. But, you know, I'm here to talk about the games, to be completely honest with you. The hardware's great. But the Dreamcast is is nothing without its catalog of titles. And there's a ton of must-play games. And we've also got a couple of titles. I know that at least I want to bring up that I think uh, kind of misrepresented. Uh, don't get talked about enough. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, killer apps for sure. you got to play Sonic Adventure, like we said. Soul Calibur, definitely. Those are... If, if you're only going to play two games, I'd say those are the two got to play for the experience that the Dreamcast offered right out of the gate, and they were just as good as probably any game that came out yeah, for the next year and a half. Yeah, like you said, right out of the gate, I would argue if you're going to play a Sonic Adventure game, I'd play the second one. I wouldn't, but... but. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty good, too. But I, I think the the first one is a, is a little bit more solid of an... Ex- I don't want to say... Solid is not the right word, but it's a little bit less full of crappy gameplay elements. Sonic Adventure Big is an interesting <laughs> Big the Cat, yeah. If you if you want a really crappy fishing mini game, uh, that that was really my only issue with Sonic Adventure is it tried to be too much. Uh, yeah, it tried too many different gameplay styles that weren't fun. Like the Sonic levels were awesome, and while they're they really weren't that deep, they were kind of just like tech demos and you hold forward, they were still fun. And that's kind of always what Sonic's been. Sonic's never been a deep platformer. It's always been hold in one direction and jump occasionally. Yeah, or just die a lot if it's later levels. But yes, generally hold hold right or up or forward or whatever and go. Yeah, but there was just something really cool about Sonic Adventure just... How, how detailed the environments were and just like the sick like screen transitions it's like when you're going through like a loop-de-loop and you know you're getting chased by that killer whale in the first level there's just it was a tour de force of the dreamcast and definitely i would say one of the first games you need to play uh soul caliber obviously uh, a gorgeous 3d uh weapon-based fighting game that obviously there's a lot of different versions of it out now but the the dreamcast version holds up amazingly i'm really surprised because a lot of 3d fighters don't uh same with the uh original power stone Uh, and then power stone 2 came out towards the end of the the lifespan of the system itself and it changed it upgraded from two players to four players which was a pretty big leap and i i first some people say they like the original better i I've don't heard know that too and i don't i don't subscribe to that theory but they're both really good games regardless i mean you really can't go wrong with either one but if you have four people i mean the second one's way better yeah oh well if you don't have uh i don't know 100 plus dollars maybe the first one's better for you <laughs> Power Stone 2 is one of the most expensive games on the console but it's definitely one of the best uh let's see here other must play games obviously the 2k sports lineup gotta play those Fantasy Star Online, version 1 and 2, like we were talking about, the first online MMO, basically on a console, uh, fantastic experience, especially getting yourself a, a keyboard and uh, playing with your, your friends online so you can talk to them, go out on quests, collect loot, RPG things. The crazy thing is now there's actually a community that is getting their Dreamcast online currently, and there's a there's a small PSO online Dreamcast community to this day. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I I know I ended up doing that with my my GameCube as well. It, there's definitely a a huge fan base for Fantasy Star and I would love for obviously I like the fact that Sega's bringing Fantasy Star online to to the West at this point. Yeah, I'm uh, super later, excited for later Yeah, next year that's going to be awesome. But I'd love for them to do a little more. <laughs> maybe maybe release maybe release another uh title in the mainline series, like a traditional RPG. That would be pretty cool. Uh so Fantasy Star Online was one of the, the best role playing games on the, the system, but there were a few other really good ones, uh, be it Grandia 2. Definitely one of our favorites. I know we've talked about it before. Uh great. the best before this um, you know, remake, it's the best version of it. It's way better than the, the PS2 port I have on it. And, and the and the Steam version is is god awful too. Uh, okay. while while this version is a little pricey on the Dreamcast, it's just because it's a quality game and everybody wants it. And this is one of the best places oh I mean, this is the best place to play it except for on the Switch at this point. So Yeah, and then uh, Dreamcast, of course, other killer RPG is Skies of Arcadia that I mean, I don't like it quite as much as Grandia Two, but it's still I can recognize it's a fantastic game and should definitely be um, go out of your way to play it, that's a, kind of a pricey one too. Yeah, and, and definitely one of the ones that most people talk about when they think about RPGs on the system. It did a lot of interesting things, so I, I definitely suggest people take a look at that. Uh, the There's a couple of other interesting ones. God of Legends is, is sort of an RPG. Are you going to say Record of Lotus War? Yeah! <laughs> oh man, what a, what a forgotten gem. That was one I was going to bring up a little bit later. Uh, based on the the animated series, Record of Lotus War, I was such a cool kind of like Diablo hack and slash game on the Dreamcast. I'd never I'd never played anything like that besides Diablo 2 at that point. And getting to play it on the console with its almost terrible 3D graphics uh, was a joy. <laughs> that was a fun yeah. game. And one of the first games I've ever started with a, a near naked man as my playable character. <laughs> it was the first game of its kind on the console. Kind of the the looter... RPG genre, whatever you want to call it. That's the first one I can remember on a console. And it's, yet again, one of those ones that's actually pretty hard to find and pretty expensive. Unfortunately. Yeah, but worth a look. Uh, They also had Evolution 1 and 2. I wasn't that big of a fan of those games. I don't know about you. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan either, so I can't say too much about them. It's going to be very good. I thought they kind of sucked. Yeah, they got kind of like mixed reviews at the time. They were... They are really standard dungeon crawlers. Some of them had procedurally generated dungeons, which is almost never a good thing. And they tried to, it felt like they tried to capitalize off the Pokemon Digimon craze, and they did it kind of bad. They did? Yeah, there was monster taming in that, wasn't there? You're not talking about Time Stalkers, are you? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Time time Stalkers? (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember playing Evolution 1 and 2 enough to remember something like that. But Time Stalkers, which I'd never hear anybody talk about. This is such a hidden kind of gem. (laughs) It was, it was one of the first games I ever got. And it is the first roguelike I think I can ever remember playing. And it was a, a 3d RPG dungeon crawler where you play as your main character and you go through these dungeons and you basically capture monsters on your team Try to get further into the dungeon, and then once you die, typical roguelike fashion, you have to start over on the next the next run. It was pretty boring overall, but it was a, an interesting concept and something that I'd never experienced at that point. So I was mildly intrigued. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I don't know if that's the one you were talking about. I don't remember Evolution having that. Yeah, Maybe I'm just going crazy it's i possible. think you're thinking of like azure dreams or something you're going way back to the ps1 it could be we're recording this you know fairly late our time so it's it could be oh well, let's see here Well, that i think that's pretty much it for the the rpgs that i can think of that at least i played and i would definitely uh suggest to people but uh so many other good games what about light gun shooters dreamcast had an awful lot Dead of those too? man <sighs> might be my favorite light gun shooter of all time. Definitely one that if I see it in an arcade, I've got to play it. Typing of the dead? Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, you don't get that in the arcade. Uh, another <laughs> another good use uh, for the Dreamcast keyboard. Unplayable without it, unfortunately. What a fun way to actually learn. That was very interesting, and I think they, they should install that at every school known to man at this point. <laughs> Absolutely, I would have enjoyed keyboard so much sentences more. sentences to the Writing, you know, paragraphs for boss battles—that'd been epic. Yeah, that was, you know, it, it, they are basically the the same experience overall. I mean, it's the exact same game, same levels, same same enemies, but just putting in, uh, you know, typing prompts, and it, you know, if you if you mess up the phrase or the word or the sentence that they put in, you get damage as opposed to when you are you don't shoot the zombie properly and they get a swipe <laughs> at you. It sounds lame. That's what I was but, getting ready to say. I remember when you got it and I was like, this sounds so freaking stupid. And then we both played it. I was like, this is actually really cool. <laughs> yeah, it it's, it's kind of absurd how fun it is. Uh, <laughs> some could argue it's actually more fun than House of the Dead, but I think it's just a different experience. It's scratching like a different muscle, a different gaming muscle than you normally get the opportunity to do. And the fact that Sega was so cheeky enough to put keyboards and battery packs on the back of the character models. Kudos for that. <laughs> yes, that was pretty cool. But one of those one of those classic arcade titles that doesn't take itself seriously at all. Uh, what other ones did they have on there? Did they have like virtual I mean, I played, cops and things? I played like that. virtual <laughs> cop on the uh, the Sega Smash Pack that came with my console. A pretty solid yeah. title overall. It's got it's got three or four different paths. I remember. I mean, each one you can beat in like forty five minutes an hour. But I had a a lot of fun with those. I mean, it's something you can do just an afternoon, just to you know, kill some time, have some fun with a good old light gun shooter. Especially if you had the light gun, Dreamcast had its own, and that was not something that I ever owned. No, we just played it with controllers, and they actually, it worked pretty freaking well from what I can remember. Well, we made it work, regardless. played the <laughs> living crap out of those games. <laughs> we did. Yeah, see. The Dreamcast had some other... Oh, I can't forget the, the Dreamcast and its, its run of upgraded Resident Evil titles. Uh, Resident Evil 2 and 3 got re-released on the Dreamcast, and up until when they got re-released on the GameCube, that was the definitive way to play them. Yeah. Um, And definitely two of the hardest to come by. And we also got a a release of the... the... Code Veronica? Yeah, Code Veronica got released uh, originally on the Dreamcast, which is not my favorite Resident Evil game, but uh, a lot of... That's a hard game. That's a hard Resident Evil game from Mm -hmm. what I remember. Yeah. We also got... uh, a re-release of Dino Crisis on the Dreamcast, so way better than the PS1 version. Yeah, it actually looks good. Yeah, but uh, other other than those, the only other like survival horror game I can remember is Blue Stinger, which was one of those release titles. I don't remember that at all. So it was like a, it was like a science fiction open world uh, survival horror game. It was it was interesting. It was probably a little too big for its britches. A little too ambitious if you will but uh yeah, it was time like the rest of the dreamcast yeah that was a it was an interesting title and you can't talk about the dreamcast without talking about Shinmu 1 and 2 but you know those never really spoke to us no they didn't and i mean Shinmu 2 never came out here and i think a lot of the dreamcast kind of unfortunately continued on the original xbox which, I mean, those audiences didn't feel like they went together at all. Because a lot of the, the Sega audience was more of the... Especially Dreamcast audience was more hardcore fans at the time. And Xbox was more of the uh, the dude bros, if you will. Because I remember we had Shinmu 2 came out on the original Xbox. And then we had Panzer Dragoon Orda, which I assume would have been Dreamcast title, came out on the Xbox. And we had the, uh, the Jet Grind Radio or Jet Set Radio uh, sequel come out that would have been... You know, also on the Dreamcast, I'm sure, instead of the Xbox. So. Yeah, no, Shinbu was definitely an interest, also very ambitious. Let's just get that out of the way. Let's give it respect for how ambitious it was. Graphically, it was very impressive. And one of the very first open world games. I know that Sega coined a different uh, type of terminology for it. I wish I I wish I had that on, on hand. But they gave <laughs> us some very, very strange name, strange acronym to describe it. If anybody doesn't know, Shinmu is basically an open-world game where you kind of explored this very large city, doing infrequent combat, playing a lot of Sega arcade games. And they spent a crap load of money on it, too. Like, a lot of money. One of the very first heavily voice-acted games. Like, a lot of good work went into that game. And I really doubt they made their money back. But Shinmu has such a, a loyal following... One that honestly kind of surprises me, but good for them. I can understand it, though. Like if if I would have played that game at the time and got into it, like I could see where that'd be kind of one of the the legendary titles you would hold up with super high regard. But I just don't think if you didn't play it, it's not one that's going to hold up. Just like I kind of think that if you play Sonic Adventure now, obviously having all these future 3D Sonics, I don't think it would hold up. But if you play at the time, it was crazy good. Well, I think it's still one of the better three D Sonic games. So I think that's probably a bad true. comparison. <laughs> but, I don't have a better one off the top of my head right now, <laughs> so we, we gotta take it. That works. But uh, let's see what man, what else? Remember Virtua tennis? That's still Virtua probably like my was... favorite tennis game, probably next to Mario tennis for me. I like Mario tennis better, but yeah, it's a really good tennis game. Did, did Mario tennis that that originated on the 64, right? Yeah. I was going to say Virtua Tennis was the first time I remember playing like an arcade tennis game where it had like really cool training modes, like little mini games built into it instead of just the tennis matches. I mean, it definitely it, it upped the upped the ante a little bit from uh, uh Tennis on 64, but yeah, it was it was super solid. I remember having a lot of fun with it. It was an arcade tennis game but kind of still rooted in actual you know, tennis just is basically a, the 2K version of their tennis. And then we got, did you ever play the the crazy taxi games too much? I, I have the first one, so yeah, play quite a bit. The second one I don't have, but yeah, I have the first one. Yeah, I didn't play a, a ton of those, but those were uh, really interesting. Uh, Some sweet I, punk rock offspring soundtrack on there. Yeah, the soundtrack was legendary for sure. And it was basically just like an arcade experience. You You know, you pick up people on the side of the street and you try to score as many points as you can by getting them to their location fastest and and getting the best fare for uh, the taxi ride. It was it sounds kind of like a lame premise, but from the short amount of time that I spent with it, I know a lot of people are really big fans of it in general. It's surprisingly fun. It's yeah, it's one you can literally pick up for five minutes and kind of get your fix, in my opinion, and then you're good. It's nothing super deep. I mean, I wasn't particularly good at it that I can remember, but it's literally, it's a straight-up arcade game. Like you said, you can play it for five, ten minutes and kind of get a lot out of it. Yeah, the Dreamcast was good for that all around. Well, speaking of the Dreamcast, we can't, you know, we could never end the episode without talking about the plethora of fighting games. And what Capcom brought to the table this generation was unprecedented and what i really remember capcom for i mean that's the reason uh, specifically i bought a dreamcast was because of that and it wasn't even why i bought one but it was <laughs> why i stuck around you just want to start from the top and go with the best vs. capcom 2 uh, yeah we can i mean it was just such a huge upgrade from the original vs. capcom which in its in its own right is still a great fighting game oh yeah for sure and if Marvel Capcom 2 didn't exist, it'd be the definitive one. Yeah, Marvel Capcom 2 just it literally, besides maybe some older Mortal Kombat games, easily had the largest roster of any fighting game at that point. Would it have like 52 or something like that? 52, 56 characters? 50, I was, I was yeah. getting ready to say 52 or 56. It's the same <laughs> thing I was going to say. All right. Definitely not beaten in the middle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they... It was basically just this giant mishmash of like every Capcom fighting game character and Marvel fighting game character that had 2D sprites at that time just yeah. shoved into a 3 on 3 fighting game which was unheard of at that point because I think that was the very first one because the original oh, it, Marvel it was, was sure. 2 2v2 two depending upon what console you played it on. Yeah, it was 2v2 unless you played it um... on the original playstation then it was just you know 1v1 with assist is just bringing a ridiculous roster all of the you know all of the capcom characters you would want including mega man tons of street fighter characters you name it and then just probably the the greatest roster of of x-men characters um that i've seen in any of the marvel uh, versus Capcom games thus far. And definitely some, some strange additions that I wish they would bring back. I love the frickin' bots, even though they weren't any good. There was a, a ton of awesome uh, Mega Man love in that game. I remember uh, Amingo or Amigo, whatever his name was, the frickin' Cactus. Yeah, he was one of what... Was, pretty, yeah. uh, was he one of two original characters for that game? Was it him and Sansan? At, was he even original because he was uh, from Samba de Amigo I, or whatever, What? I don't think he was. Okay, but you may you may just be making that up. That may be some hidden fact that I don't know about, but I thought he was from the character where the game where you shook the maracas or whatever. No, I know what game you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure he was uh, he was original to two. Oh, nice. That's why I obviously loved him. But I mean, just having such a large roster of characters and being able to, you know, make the combination of like your three favorite characters and and fight your buddy on the same console, that was, that was unprecedented at that point. And that game alone got me super into fighting games. And it's still at the top of my fighting game list to this day. Like if there's, if there's one that I'm going to go back to, it'll almost always be a Marvel versus Capcom title, but two, uh, is just legendary in my book. Yeah, it's still Marvel vs. Capcom is still my go-to series to this day. I mean, I'd, you'd be hard-pressed if they announced a new game. I would get more hype for maybe like a Chrono game, and that would probably be about it, besides like a new Marvel. So yeah, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, obviously, probably the high point of fighting games for the for the console, but so many other classic titles, obviously like Capcom vs. SNK, great for its time was epic and of course you can't forget uh street fighter third strike probably the most beloved and talked about fighting game on the console to this day probably one of the most still frequently played especially in tournament scenes i'd say the most technical for sure yeah still in my book still the best street fighter game a lot of new characters a lot of new interesting uh battle mechanics like the parry and uh is that one of the one is that one of the first ones that lets you actually pick multiple uh, supers things of that nature? Yeah I think Alpha 3 which is also on there another fantastic game the best version of Alpha 3 you can do that too. I'm not sure which one of those actually came out first but they're both really good in both on the Dreamcast. Yeah and Street Fighter Third Strike is the obviously the third version of that series and pretty much the only one worth owning on the Dreamcast. Since it is the definitive version. Yeah, that's another one of those where Street Fighter is just so weird in general. The way they do sequels and sort of sequels. and Yeah, because there's on Dreamcast there's Street Fighter 3, Street Fighter 3 Second Impact, and then Third Strike, right? Yeah. And another one you need. This is one I almost never hear get talked about. Last Blade 2. God, that was a great one. Oh, Furious of Vidango Secret Slices. Like, yeah, they have... That's like Crazy the greatest movie. battle mechanic of all time. I don't remember what it does, but it has the coolest name. Or how you do it. But it, it was actually really complicated to do. I remember that, but yeah, it was really cool. It was like the one fighting game in the last like 25 years that I've gotten an instruction manual out for. <laughs> it's like, what is this madness? I feel like that's a forgotten gem. It's like kind of like a Neo Geo's version, or not Neo Geo's. Actually, S-N-K. it is Neo Geo. No, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's made by SNK, but like their version of Samurai Showdown. But they make Samurai Showdown. That's what I was. Well, I know, at. but for the Dreamcast.
1: Unless <laughs> okay. Japan had a
0: Samurai, I, I didn't specifically say that. Phrasing phrasing's hard. <laughs> but I don't think a any Samurai Showdown game had come out for outside of the Neo Geo at that point. Had it? Um, I mean, besides, well, they had them come out on PlayStation stuff, and even Super Nintendo, Nintendo, the original ones on. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have Samurai Showdown Four on PS One. But yeah, can. we're getting off topic for that, too, <laughs> too. It's an awesome game. Yes, it is. And then, of course, the, the game that I always bring up when it comes to Dreamcast and fighting games, Virtual On. Yes. The best 3D mech fighting game, period. The goat. Sega's forgotten about, unfortunately. Need to bring it back. Well, did they release that one on like the PS... Was it the PS2 or... Yeah, yeah. Virtual On Mars for PS2 was like a slower dumbed-down version of uh, Ontario or Tangram or whatever the one is for Dreamcast. Yeah, I decided not to play that one because I didn't want to ruin my memory out of the series. Oh, I still bought it. I'm glad somebody released a a compilation collection on PS4 that's freaking only in Japan. Mm, that's not fair. Is it's it really for the not. Switch or something? No, it's for PS4. It's got online play, and we get nothing. Oh, I need that. Is that all three of them, or is that just the first two? It's at least, I don't know if it's the first one, it's at least uh, the second two for sure. It's Mars and Tangram. Or Tori and Tangram. might be the first one too. And then, let's see here, what else we got? Remember, Project Justice. Uh, Mark and the Wolves. To,
1: well, Project we got Justice. That,
0: we got that too. <laughs> Project Justice, the unapologetic sequel to Rival Schools for the I PS1. I love Rival Schools, United right. by Fate. Such a and good game. Yeah. And and Project Justice is a much more beautiful game, at least. I think it's great. Yeah, they're they feel like what Street Fighter EX should have been. Is what those games kind of feel like to me. They feel like Street Fighter games and they're actually like in 3D, but they play completely 2D. 2D fighters. Yeah, they're really cool and they got a lot of uh, interesting uh, original characters in there and I can't read did that like it was all based upon like, uh, like a school, right? And yeah, everybody there these, was. Like, yeah, basically like all these different schools there. So there are like four or five different schools and they all had their, you know, stereotypes from each school. Like you had your main dude, Batsu, and then like his crew, which I think uh, Sakura's sister Hinata, Sakura from Street Fighter, her sister Hinata is one of the characters, which is kind of a weird Street Fighter tie in Capcom Easter egg type thing. And then like you had another school that would be basically like you might have a dude that plays baseball and then kind of an just evil looking guy. And it was just really cool. I'm doing a terrible job explaining this good game. (laughs) I was going to say, I like the explanation. But yeah, definitely one to look out for. Definitely one of the most difficult games to find on the console, unfortunately. And definitely one that probably won't get a re-release on anything ever. Well, at least since Capcom is still in business, there's the small shot. But yeah, don't expect it. You know, there's actually a lot of good uh, 2D like spaceship shooters or shmups, if you will, on the console as well. I think you may have had Gigawing 2 too. Yeah, I do have that game. That game is definitely so. I have a uh, Gunbird, 2 also, which is good. Oh, nice. So that... both those are really good. You have is it Bangayo. I do have Bang I.O., which is a pretty much a completely different type of game, but definitely a hidden gem on the console. Uh, more of a kind of like a puzzle shooter, if you will. I was going to say, is it like a twin stick shooter almost? It is if like a twin. It, yeah, it is. You obviously like one stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's 2D and you you kind of maneuver your little tiny mech around and you destroy different objects and enemies throughout the level kind of going for a high score, but it had a really cool mechanic where you tried to get in as much danger as possible before like releasing your, your ultimate attacks. And if, if you were surrounded by like a bunch of enemies and a bunch of bullets, it made your final attack more powerful and it'd be just kind of like unload on the entire screen. So there's a lot of risk reward gameplay there. Um, But like I said, it was more of a, a puzzle arcade shooter and a lot of fun a lot of a lot of interesting levels there definitely if you like kind of like anime inspired games you'd probably be into it yeah i remember it being pretty cool i remember trying it at your place and it being a pretty sweet game you got to, do you have any other lesser known titles that you think need to be brought up that you remember playing trying to run through uh, my collection in my head I played Wacky Races for the Dreamcast a decent amount just because I loved the old Hanna-Barbera cartoon, and it was a, a cool, basically cel shaded Mario Kart with the Wacky Races characters. So it's a lot of fun. I yeah, I remember that's... you always singing high praises about that one, but I don't know if I ever got a chance to play it. <laughs> Maybe not. I probably loved it so much just because I loved the IP in general. That definitely that, helps. That could be. What else did I put a lot of hours into in the Dreamcast? I have JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. That's a, I mean, basically it was a no-name game no one knew about at the time. Now the anime has gotten super popular. But it's another Capcom fighter that's really solid. Not much can really say besides we already have about all the Capcom fighters. Yeah, oh, and as you were mentioning earlier, uh, Mark of the Wolves as well as several really good uh, King of Fighters titles as well. Oh, yeah, King of Fighters 99, I think, is one of the big ones on there. And Millennium. Yeah, Millennium. Yep, I wouldn't see it. So, yeah, fighting games aplenty. And you didn't have to worry about... Those were games that, obviously, the Dreamcast could not deal with online. They had not quite figured out that infrastructure. No. Net, net code was not a thing at that point. But Definitely not. But that, if you want to go yeah. back and discover old school fighting games that were top of the line back then, I would say the Dreamcast is about as far back as you need to go. Oh, Cause, for sure. Yeah, because that's that was like the pinnacle. They figured out what made fighting games good, and SNK and Capcom were at the the top of their game at that point, point. and they were even joining forces at that point. What was not. I think below. Japan even got Capcom versus SNK two on the Dreamcast, and we didn't get over here. That would have been way better than playing it on the GameCube. Oh my god! <laughs> yes. Yeah. As yeah. far as what I can remember, I think that pretty much covers it. I'm sure I'm don't not looking at my collection right now. I'm probably missing something that was a classic, but off the top of my head, that's all I can think of. Yeah, There's a lot of good games. I think within that year and a half, yeah, uh, in the in the states, I think they released uh, a little over 200 titles. I think it was. Maybe creeping up closer to 300. I don't know. But probably did by the end. I mean, they they were cranking stuff out by the end of it between here and Japan. I think they had probably closer to like five, six hundred titles. So, and that I mean, that's not even mentioning just like the continued support, like we de- like we described earlier with like the homebrew scene. There's literally a handful of new user created games being released on disc. You know, with instruction manuals and things like that, you can find them online, order them for your Dreamcast, throw them in, have a blast. And like the Dreamcast was so good and influential and had so many good titles, like so many Dreamcast games got ported to the PS2, the GameCube, the Xbox afterwards. That it kind of got the, the Wii U treatment is like all the games getting ported to the Switch right now from the Wii U. That pretty much happened to Dreamcast first, getting everything ported to the uh, Xbox, GameCube, and PS2. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's one of the, the best ways to maybe go back uh, and experience the library. If you don't want to go back and try to obviously scrounge up a Dreamcast and try to pick up these titles, because I know some of them are getting a uh, little pricey but a lot of the most pricey ones are the ones that aren't getting re-released and i think that's why yeah that would make sense like if you're trying to go back and get any of the the shmups on the dreamcast good luck you're looking yeah. at well you're looking at 150 easy plus so yes. that's rough but most kind of, of the other yeah but most of the other titles on the console minus you know, like Marvel's Capcom 2 and Power Stone 2 are a little pricey. Most of the other games you can get anywhere between probably like ten and forty bucks, which is great. And I'd say if you're gonna go, you know, start hunting, do it now because every generation they seem to get more expensive as the years go by. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't often see a lot of games in the wild anymore from this uh, from, that from era. this era. Back in our day, we were we were grabbing games like this for like five, ten bucks off the discount rack. <laughs> oh man, glorious! Wish I would have grabbed a few more. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Oh I mean, yeah, the Dreamcast got just a, a ton of memories and just so influential. Everybody is as a gamer, and obviously, just like the gaming industry as a whole, owes oh, owes oh, Sega a lot. Uh, Not just for like the lessons learned, but just the impact uh, that the Dreamcast had in such a a short life cycle and uh, what it meant to the to the sixth generation of consoles, let alone the consoles that have come after it. So that's something very special. Yeah, for sure. If you talk to like anyone that had a Dreamcast or especially just owned it during that era, it's just I've never heard anyone say like a bad word about the Dreamcast that owned Dreamcast when, you know, in its heyday. Oh, no. Absolutely not. You know, I'd love to hear your guys' opinions on it, too. You guys should definitely drop uh, some comments uh, on our Twitter page and, and definitely <clears throat> comments on the episodes themselves. We'd love to hear what some of your favorite games are, some of your memories of, of the console itself, maybe even during release, or if you've, you've picked it up in the last few years uh, on the dirt cheap. Everybody's got a different experience, uh, you know, getting to play the Dreamcast for the first time. Be interesting to hear. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, as always, let's kind of go over where you can where you can find us. We're uh, on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're uh, the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection, of course. At uh, on Twitter, we are at Buck Chuck Gaming. Chuck said, to reach out to us. Let us know. You know, he said, what your favorite Dreamcast titles are. Just your memories of the the twenty years in general. And as always, I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And you've been listening to the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. Thanks, guys.